Welcome to the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Hudson. And I'm Jessica Bakeman. Eduardo Padron's first role at Miami-Dade College was student. He has been the president of the college since 1995. He's announced he will step down from that position in August. He won't call it a retirement. More on that later. But it was as a student, Padron first experienced the institution he would lead for almost a quarter of a century. It was 1963. Padron and his younger brother had been in Miami for two years. They came from Cuba as part of Operation Pedro Pan. Their parents would join them here later on. Padron was ambitious. After all, his mother told him before he left Cuba, no matter what happens, he had to go to college. And I needed to find a place, a place called college, university, to go and, uh, and become somebody. Padron went on and received a Ph.D. in economics from the University of Florida. And seven years after first entering the school, known then as Dade County Junior College, he was back teaching there, eventually becoming president. But it wasn't an obvious path for the teenager who spoke little English when he got here. I spent all my savings from three, four, five different jobs, picking up tomatoes in the fields, uh, cleaning toilets, etc., and I use all those savings to apply to some of the best universities in the country. They all rejected me. Padron calls it an incredible revelation the first time he arrived at the school's brand new North Campus in 1963 after catching three buses to get there from his home in South Dade County. I found people with open arms who uh, opened the doors for me, who advised me, uh, helped me register, helped me put a schedule together, but most importantly, gave me self-confidence, gave me hope. And the rest is history. That history includes growing the school into one of the largest colleges in the country, expanding the number of campuses it operates, offering four-year college degrees, and a name change to Miami-Dade College, accomplishments those other colleges and universities that rejected Padron as a young student have taken notice of. Most of those colleges have come back to give me honorary doctorates. And that includes some institutions like Princeton, Brown, uh, and others uh, that uh, after all these years um, recognized my trajectory and decided to give me an honorary doctorate. So imagine uh, me being uh, at commencement at Princeton. He came to this country at age 15, a refugee from Cuba. This is Princeton's 2012 graduation. He began college at the only school that accepted him. And in 1995, he was named its president. Standing before a huge crowd. President Pedron. Here stands before you a Princeton reject. Uh, (laughs) uh, It was a glorious moment, to say the least. I'm so glad that it worked out the way that it did. Miami-Dade College was uh, a place that really allowed me to, uh, you know, harness my full potential. We spoke with Padron recently in a large conference room near his office at the school's downtown campus. As he prepares to leave in August, state money for state colleges is under pressure. The low unemployment rate has reduced enrollment, and the adjunct faculty is voting on whether to unionize. Still to come, fighting for a share of higher education funding. You know, in Tallahassee, they talk constantly about jobs, jobs, jobs. And I say, where is the beef? 
in order to create jobs, you need to make sure you have the latest technology, you need to have the qualified faculty, you need to have the opportunity to harness that talent, and without the resources, it's very difficult to do that. Welcome back to the Sunshine Economy. Thanks again for listening. I'm Tom Hudson. And I'm Jessica Bakeman. Eduardo Padron is a veteran of legislative fights over education spending. Padron has been president of Miami-Dade College for 24 years. He's stepping down in August. Over the past several years, as state funding for Florida's public universities has increased steadily, funding for state colleges hasn't. State colleges include schools like Broward College, Palm Beach State College, Florida Keys Community College, and Miami-Dade College. State spending this year is about what it was two years ago, $1.2 billion. Over the past five years, state college funding is up 10 percent. State revenues directed to state universities up 25 percent over the same five years. The state legislature has favored university spending in recent years, something Padron wants to change. The past two years for our colleges were not good, uh, not only because most of the money uh, were used to go to the universities, but uh, the fact of the matter is that uh, we have to support these colleges because these are the point of entry. We have in the state colleges in Florida uh, close to 900,000 students. The universities are serving about 300. But the universities are in this race to become more and more selective. My alma mater, uh, the University of Florida, that I'm very proud of, of uh, it's almost impossible to get in there today because of their requirements. I always joke, and it's not so much of a joke, it's, I'm serious, that uh, those students are going to succeed in spite of the university. When you cream the crop and you, you know, just get the best of the best, uh, that's what you get. So do you see that as a misplaced priority for the legislature, that they should be focusing on the schools that serve the needier students? What I'm saying is there must be a fair distribution of resources because we are the suppliers of most of the students for these universities. We're the largest supplier of uh, students to, let's say, in our own town or to Florida International University. And you know what's interesting? Uh, in spite of the fact that we are not an elitist institution, in spite of the fact that we have an open door, our graduates, when they transferred to the state universities and many of the best known universities around the country, perform at least at the same level and in many instances higher than the native university students that were handpicked. There is something to be said about the quality of the education taking place at these institutions because we're about teaching. We're about teaching and learning. We're not about research, which is a very important function of the university. We're about teaching. And the people in the classroom teaching our students are real teachers. These are not graduate assistants or anything like that. The legislature in sessions past has put a focus on research institutions in state funding, and that has concentrated in the state university system. Do you think that's penalized state colleges like Miami-Dade in state funding? I don't see that as a reason. Uh, you know, I, I think it's good to invest in research. Uh, the unfortunate thing is that most of the money is going to one or two at the most universities, and some of the others are serving the large urban areas. 
are not being treated as fairly as, as some of the other institutions. Why do you think that is? Is that because of stronger representatives, for instance, in Tallahassee in those institutions? Well, there is strong lobbying. There is a strong, uh, you know, uh, they have important football teams and things that, you know, always entice uh, support. But the fact of the matter is at this time when we really need to be competitive, when we really need to make sure that every citizen has the ability to self-support themselves, uh, we need to have a more fair distribution of resources. That's, it's as simple as that. You're an economist by trade. What does that mean? What are you saying in terms of a more fair representation of resources? Proportional, for instance, based upon student body count? Uh, how do you define that a little bit finer? Well, you know, uh, economists and many others can create formulas that really bring a more level, uh, level playing field, which right now we don't have. Uh, we need to recognize that many of the students that we enroll uh, come with some uh, challenges that other students do not have. Many of our students did not live in the right zip code. They did not go to the best school, so they don't come with the best preparation. So we have to spend resources helping them uh, get the, the skills to be able to join the mainstream of academic life. But also life happens to them more often than other students. Many of my students, if they have to visit the emergency room or they have a, a, a raise in rent, is enough to drop out of school because most of them, differently from most of the students at the universities who live in the dorms, who study full time, who have parents who can support them, most of my students do not have that opportunity. They work and go to school. More than 75% of my students work and most of them work full time and they have issues of transportation and all kinds of issues. These students are smart and they are, as uh, I, I would say, even as, as intent in succeeding as any other student, but they are different in that regard. Uh, and they need, they need support and they need uh, the, uh, the, the, the state legislature to be able to provide uh, what they need in order to succeed. Do you think that the state legislature is applying enough resources toward higher education, both the university and the college system, and that it's a debate around splitting that money between those two types of institutions? Or is it a matter of more resources, more financial resources that you'd be advocating for? Well, it's both. I think we have a more fair distribution and we need to have additional resources. Last year, uh, they took $30 million out of our system of colleges. And uh, we need to have that money restored to start. <laughs> this is money that was taken from the pot of money for the state colleges that basically went to the university side. That money needs to be restored uh, to start with, and then more money needs to be added. We are the workforce uh, development agency of, of, of the state of Florida. We're training uh, the people for the jobs that are being created uh, in this country. You look at Miami-Dade College, for example. All we are doing is, uh, in addition to the traditional programs, uh, we have created programs that are uh, providing students with the skills to go and get good jobs. And the placement rates for our students, uh, job placement rates, are very, very high. Our cybersecurity center, 
our uh, uh, Amazon uh, Cloud Computing Academy, what we have done with Facebook in terms of digital marketing. I could go on and on and on. We are working with industry to make sure that the students are getting a state-of-the-art training so they can get jobs. And that we're doing that, providing the well-prepared workforce of the state needs to be able to attract more businesses, to be able to keep companies here, et cetera, et cetera. That needs to be rewarded. You know, in Tallahassee, they talk constantly about jobs, jobs, jobs. And I say, where is the beef? Because we need, in order to create jobs, you need to make sure you have the latest technology, you need to have the qualified faculty, you need to have the opportunity to harness that talent, and without the resources, it's very difficult to do. Let me ask you about the source of those financial resources. Several years ago, you talked about a halfpenny sales tax, for mm -hmm. instance, to go toward mm -hmm. education. Uh, are you advocating, are you looking at other kinds of revenue sources for higher education? Should the state be looking at other sources other than the general fund that it currently uses? I'm always looking at alternative revenue sources. I'm looking at my alumni. I'm making sure they commit to support the institution. I'm looking at uh, any ideas. Uh, but frankly, uh, at this point, I'm not very optimistic that there is an appetite in the legislature uh, for uh, a local uh, tax, uh, which in fact is the way that most colleges like Miami-Dade in, in the United States are supported, especially in the large states like California, Texas, New Mexico, uh, New York. There is, uh, there is uh, the state colleges like Miami-Dade have both state support and local support because these are local institutions. We are not regional centers. We are educating the local community. So it makes sense that local community will support this. And we have seen time after time, poll after poll, uh, that this community is willing to tax themselves in order to support this college. I think it's a great idea because I think it's the most democratic way of getting resources. When the people decide they want to fund you, that's, that's what should prevail. But I don't think there is any appetite in Tallahassee today to do that. And uh, so uh, I, don't, I don't lose hope that someday uh, those ideas will change and, and colleges like Miami-Dade will be able to appeal to the local community for support. Because if the state doesn't give you the funds, they have to come from somewhere. We're an institution that cannot afford to, uh, to raise tuition very much. Because m most of our students, for them, every time we raise tuition is a difference between putting food in the table or going to school. Throughout the time that you've been president, there have been huge changes nationally in how public higher education is funded. Previously, you know, the biggest pot of funding was coming from state funding, and that has depleted here and across the country. Um, and in some other places, you know, the, the uh, share that students are paying in tuition has gone up, but in Florida, there have been efforts to keep the tuition down. So how do you make that work? Well, you don't make it work because the math is very simple. If the government resources are going down, something has to go up to make up for that. And, and raising tuition, as I just said, is not a real option because of the nature of the students that we serve. So the money has to come from somewhere. Uh, public education is a responsibility of the state. It's not a responsibility of the federal government. The federal government has very limited role in, in education, which is providing financial aid, which is uh, you know providing competitive grants that we all have to compete for, but they are not big amounts. 
Uh, so it's a responsibility of the state. And I think the state needs to decide if this is important enough to be able to fund it. It's a very difficult balancing act at institutions like Miami-Dade College to be able to provide what is needed uh, to support the students. Uh, it's very difficult today, for example, to compete for qualified faculty because in the new technologies that are being developed uh, to get those faculty, uh, it costs a lot of money and uh, other universities are taking them away. Private, uh, private industry is taking our faculty away because they are in, you know, in big demand. So how do you compete? How do you make sure the students are not being shortchanged and, 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 and getting the, the best education possible so they can be successful? Education has to be the number one priority. It's, a, it's the number one founda uh, foundation. You know, we have issues with healthcare, we have issues with transportation and all that. But imagine if we could educate our people so they can get good jobs. They wouldn't have to depend on Medicare, Medicaid, uh, and subsidies and welfare in order to, to subsist. And uh, the divide between the half and the half-nots in Florida, and especially Miami-Dade County, is a big, big issue. And the only way that we can solve that is through education. One of the points of friction between the state college system and the university system has been the push of state colleges into four-year degrees. Uh, are there limits to that expansion uh, of state colleges like Miami-Dade into the four-year degree uh, program and environment? Honestly, I, I don't see the issue because we are not offering wholesale baccalaureates. We're being very careful in terms of what we offer. And most of our baccalaureates, not most, all of them, are workforce-oriented baccalaureates. These are programs to really prepare students for jobs. These are programs that do not exist at the universities, by the way, except for a few. And the reason why this started in Florida is because the universities were not graduating enough uh, teachers. We were having to import teachers from Idaho, from Iowa, from Great Britain, you name it. And uh, many of them did not last. Uh, and there was culture shock. And uh, the legislature was pushing the universities to really produce more teachers, and the universities that was not a priority for them. So that's how the first legislation came in to train the teachers. And what we have proven is, number one, that we're serving an entirely different population. The, the mean age, average age of the students in the baccalaureate program is 31, 32 years old. These are people who are in the workforce who really want to change careers, who are at a point, these are women who now have had their children and really want to take care of themselves. But the other thing is costing less to the taxpayers because our tuition is now much lower and much more affordable for the, for the students. And, and it's costing less to, to, to the state. Uh, so, so it's a win-win. And uh, at the university have their students, we have their students, and, and yet we're not producing enough <laughs> altogether. The same thing is true in nursing, but also we have so many other programs like supplying, supply chain and, and, uh, and logistics uh, in so many other fields, robotics, engineering, and so forth, that. Uh, are providing students with good training and good jobs. Well, you know better than most that things are cyclical with the legislature, right? Like what the legislature cares about changes 
every couple of years based on who's in the leadership positions. Um, and this issue in particular, Senator Joe Negron, the previous Senate president, he was um, very interested in advancing the universities, and he saw the baccalaureate offerings at the state colleges as being an infringement on, I guess, the territory or the space or the mission of universities. That manifested in a few ways. I mean, there was a moratorium at one point that stopped state colleges from creating new four-year programs. Um, there was a push to try to get state colleges that had changed their names to state college or had taken the word community out of their names to change their names back. Um, do you think at this point now, Senator Negron is no longer in the legislature, we have new leadership that is you know, really coming into full swing with this legislative session that's just starting. Do you feel like colleges are out of the woods as far as that issue is concerned? Well, it's something I cannot predict, but I can tell you that the current president, uh, Senate president, is an individual that understands what we do. Senator Bill Galvano. Bill Galvano is a gentleman that I have a lot of respect for because in his career as a legislator, he has demonstrated a, a, a great understanding of the role that we played in preparing people for jobs uh, and uh, has been very supportive throughout the years, and I don't expect that to change. Miami-Dade College President Eduardo Padron speaking with us recently from the school's downtown campus. He announced he will step down from his position in August after 24 years. Still to come, enrollment, the economy, and immigration. What this college has done in moving Miami forward, in providing opportunity, in giving people a chance to become contributors to this great nation, it is an incredible story. This is the Sunshine Economy. Thanks for listening this week. I'm Tom Hudson. And I'm Jessica Bakeman. Miami-Dade College has a history of being a big institution. It took a decade for the school to enroll a total of 100,000 students. Today, the college says it has over 100,000 students enrolled each semester. Eduardo Padron has led the college's expansion for almost the past quarter of a century. He will be leaving as president of the school in August. We spoke with Padron recently at the college's downtown Miami campus about how low unemployment and the nation's immigration debate are affecting students. Any time there's a slowdown in the economy, our enrollment goes up immediately because people get unemployed, they don't have as many opportunities to work extra hours, so they decide this is the time to go back to college and get the credentials, the additional courses they need, etc. When the economy is good, the students have the opportunity to get better jobs, they work more hours, so what happens is they take less courses. Most of them, it's not a question of headcount. The headcount is basically the same, but the students right now are taking less courses. Why? Because they have the opportunity to, to, to work uh, more overloads, to have additional hours. And that is precisely because most of my students work and go to school. They are not full-time students, most of them. But the number of students basically, for example, last year we grew about 5%. How do you count enrollment now? How many students go to Miami-Dade College now? Right now, we're serving about 100 and I would say close to 158,000 students. Uh, 
and uh, those are headcounts, okay? Uh, if you, you could also think in terms of FTEs, what the state calls FTEs, where they take the number of credits divided by the number of students. So in terms of FTEs, uh, right now I think we are about in the, in the, in the low 60, uh, 60,000 or something like that because it's more in terms of student credit hours than actual headcount. And some of the students in that larger number, you mentioned 150,000 near there. Mm -hmm. uh, are some of those students taking a class one semester, then maybe taking a semester off, then oh, maybe yeah. taking a few more? So they may be kind of stopping out rather than dropping out? Well, you know, uh, I think the name of the game here is persistence, which is what I admire in my students. You have students that takes them eight years to graduate. It's not uncommon at graduation to see students who it took them eight years to graduate with a two-year degree. Why is that? Because these are students who have to support their families. Many of them have family themselves. Uh, these are students who work and go to school. And uh, it's not like when you have the resources and you have parents supporting you that you go to school full-time, especially if you are in dorms and you live the, the traditional American college life. Uh, most students today in the United States uh, are in the situation that our students are. Right, it it's, depends on what your definition of traditional is, right? Because more people are actually in a situation of being now, what, what we have now is a traditional, thing, right. right? Yeah, you're right. So along those lines, what do you think the makeup of the student body is going to look like? I mean, is that changing a lot? Obviously, with the economic trends, it changes. And, you know, what does it look like now? And was it, what will it look like in well, the future? It, it all depends on how you look at it. For example, we used to have a much older student population. We are, student population is getting younger. And you say, why? Because many of the high school students are making a, this college uh, a cho their choice. Many parents uh, see Miami-Dade College as their choice. They see a quality education that prepares the students to go to other universities later on if they want to go to for an incredibly low price. When, when tuition becomes so unaffordable for families in America today, when students graduate from college with these incredible debts that amount to almost uh, you know, uh, uh, a mortgage, uh, and students who finish and they get married and they cannot afford to buy a home for years and years and years because they have to pay college debt. Uh, that's not a good proposition. Remind us what the tuition is now. Uh, the tuition right now, you could go to this college uh, for an entire year for a little less than $3,000. And that's what, a third of what the universities cost? Oh my God, that's, uh, it depends on what university. Most of our students leave Miami-Dade College without one penny of debt, and that's important. The community in which Miami-Dade College exists is an immigrant, concentrated community, no doubt about it. You spoke about the cycle of the economy and how that affects enrollment. We've certainly seen a different focus on immigration with the Trump administration than we saw in previous presidential administrations. Have you been able to tease out of your enrollment data any effect that that has had on student enrollment? Well, uh, if you analyze, make a deep analysis of our students, there is no question that this college has been the open door to the immigrant uh, community. I'm the one good example. But when you look at the leadership of this community, 
uh, whether it's in the private sector or the public sector. Uh, what you find is that most of the people today in leadership positions in Miami were immigrant students who came to this college as their only option. If you look at the, uh, the public sector, beginning with the mayor, the chairman of the commission, most of the commissioners, the state attorney, the public defender, the chief of police, the chief of fire, the head of the airport, the head of the port, the head of Jackson Hospital, and I could go on and on. They are all Miami-Dade College graduates. And what they can tell you is, if it had not been because of Miami-Dade College, God knows where we would be today. But it's even more impressive in the private sector. Whether it is the chairman of Carnival, whether it is the, the largest developer in Miami, whether it is the heads of the major law firms, major accounting firms, uh, I could go on. Just in banking, there are 17 bank presidents in Miami-Dade County that are graduates of Miami-Dade College. Uh, what this college has done in moving Miami forward, in providing opportunity, in giving people a chance to become contributors to this great nation, it is an incredible story. I don't think there is any other college in America today that has had more of an impact in, develop, in developing the leadership of its own community where they are located than Miami-Dade College. As this current administration under President Trump has had a different focus toward immigration and toward undocumented immigrants, has that had an effect on enrollment at all, do you think, at Miami-Dade College? I don't think so. Uh, I don't think so. Uh, I think it's unfortunate what's going on today because uh, it's, the whole issue has been politicized. And uh, immigrants are being portrayed as criminals, as uh, all kind of negative connotations, uh, without realizing that the history of this nation from its very beginning is one where immigrants uh, have played a very important role in the formation of this nation. And Miami is one of the best examples of what immigrants can do if they are provided with an open door of support. With the focus on immigration from this current administration, have there been actions that you or the college have taken in regards to protection for immigrant students, uh, both legal and potentially uh, undocumented immigrant students? Well, we are, needless to say, very supportive of the immigrant community and immigrant students to whatever level is, is necessary. I think we have a lot of students, the so-called DACA students, which are the students that are presently under protection uh, through measures that were passed in the past administration. This is the Deferred uh, Action for Childhood Arrivals. Deferred Action for Childhood. Uh, you, know, uh, you know what? Many of these students... By the way, the collective grade point average of this group of students is higher than the uh, point average, grade point average of the overall population. That's number one. Many of these students are top students. These are students who are transferring to the best universities in this country, and uh, we have no issues. Uh, these students behave well. These students, uh, most of them, uh, not even remember the country that they came from. Uh, these are students who pledge allegiance to the flag. These are students who are as American as anyone, anyone can be. And all they want is to be able to 
uh, enjoy and, and, and participate in the life of a country that they love and it's their country. Have you felt a need at all to declare the campus a sanctuary campus, for instance? We've seen certain communities declare themselves uh, sanctuary cities or sanctuary counties or declare themselves not sanctuary cities or sanctuary counties. Have you felt a, a, a need to? No, I, don't, I haven't felt a need to do that because, in fact, uh, it's not a secret that this is a school that doesn't discriminate uh, among students just because of their background, ethnic, uh, religious, uh, national origin, and legal status or anything like that. Uh, we treat everybody the same, with the same level of compassion and empathy and support that they need in order to succeed. That's what matters to us. If the student is serious about becoming somebody, uh, they, we're here to support them. And uh, there is no question about that. If a DACA student or another undocumented student came to you and said, Dr. Padron, I'm scared, I don't know what's going to happen, what would you say? Oh, they, that happens all the time. These students are living under fear. The students uh, do not know what's going to happen tomorrow. If when they are ready to leave uh, the home to come to school, where they're going to be waiting for them. Or in the middle of the night, they're going to go and knock on their door. So many of these students, their parents have been deported. Uh, there are all kinds of situations that are very sad. I hope that our nation will come to their senses and that we will finally have uh, reasonable immigration reform that would give these individuals the opportunity to carry on with their lives. Miami-Dade College President Eduardo Padron. Still to come, the effort by part-time faculty members to unionize. This is not something that was initiated inside. This is something that has been brought from the outside to try to unionize uh, our faculty. Welcome back to the Sunshine Economy here on WLRN. Thanks again for listening and supporting public radio. I'm Tom Hudson. And I'm Jessica Bakeman. Adjunct faculty at Miami-Dade College make up more than 60% of the teaching force. They get paid about $2,400 for every three-credit course. The college says that's the best adjunct pay in Florida State College system. But some part-time teachers are fighting for higher wages benefits, and more predictable schedules. Last July, more than 30 percent of adjunct professors at Miami-Dade College expressed support to unionize, which triggers an election. The adjunct professors are voting now on whether to form a chapter of Service Employees International Union, SEIU. It's a mail ballot election, and the votes will be counted on March 27th. Miami-Dade College President Eduardo Padron sees the union push as coming from outside the school, not from within. There is not a movement among our adjunct faculty to unionize. Let me explain what's going on here. This is not an internal movement. Don't let anybody fool you. This is an organization called SEIU, which is well-known national uh, um, union that is trying to add members to the roster and all of a sudden decided that adjuncts all over the country are a good source for them uh, to um, to recruit, and uh, what you have is that uh, they picked Miami-Dade and other state colleges in Florida because of our size uh, to try to recruit uh, the adjuncts or part-time faculty. So what happened was that you had people who are professional 
paid professional organizers. And by the way, on their own admittance from Boston, from North Carolina and so forth, who have basically come down to the college to try to convince the adjunct faculty to unionize. Some of the tactics, unfortunately, that they are using go back to last century, which is intimidating faculty, harassing faculty. I get everyday complaints from faculty who feel harassed, intimidated, that they go and knock at their door and insist in coming in and talking to them. Uh, I have people calling, sending me emails about this all the time. We have to sometimes escort, our security have to escort the adjunct faculty to their carts because there are people waiting uh, for them to walk with them and convince them to, uh, to join the union and they feel intimidated by that. There are all kinds of things happening, which is unfortunate, but that's the way they, they do that. We asked Padron's office to provide the emails he says he's been getting from adjunct faculty members who feel harassed, but we did not receive them by our deadline. Representatives of SEIU would not comment on where the organizers are from, and they deferred questions to Miami-Dade College adjuncts who are working to help organize their colleagues. Sociology adjunct professor Christian Schlereth disputed Padron's claims that union organizers are harassing faculty. He argued the administration is doing the intimidating by sending emails and letters to adjunct faculty encouraging them to vote against the union. Also, Schlereth called attention to incidents where security and local police have told union organizers to leave campus. In one instance, local police pointed guns at an organizer. SEIU has filed an unfair labor practices complaint with Florida's Public Employees Relations Commission, and the college is fighting it. It's up to the adjunct faculty whether they want to unionize or not. Our job is to make sure that the faculty has the information that they need to be able to make uh, the right decision. Because in, at this college, um, for example, our, our adjunct faculty are the best paid in the state, number one. Our uh, adjunct faculty, over two-thirds of the full-time faculty that are hired every year come from the ranks of the adjuncts. This isn't just something that's happening with national unions, but in other uh, colleges throughout the state uh, where full-time faculty had not been unionized, there has been a push in recent years for that. There have been graduate student assistants who've been unionizing in recent sure, years. Sure, but, been but that's, up, that's up you know, to, it's up, it's up to those groups to make that decision. And that's democracy. If, if the group of faculty, any group of anybody who wants to unionize, that's their choice. Right. So I'm just saying this isn't just, you know, people coming from Boston or New York. Oh, and yes, it is. It is. I'm sorry, but I cannot agree with you on that because this is not something that is started here like the faculty got together and said, oh, let's unionize. This is something, and it's happened in all the other colleges, where SEIU, as a strategy, decided they were going to go to these colleges in Florida and try to get their uh, adjunct faculty unionized. And they have the right to do that, too. I'm not complaining about that. All I'm saying is let's understand the facts. So why do you think that it has found some support amongst the local adjunct faculty if it's this external force bringing it? Well, we'll know the support once we have the election. But I can tell you, because I see the promises that are made, and it's very easy to make promises. We don't make any promises. We don't say, if you don't unionize, we're going to give you this, we're going to give you that. Our only promise is that we will continue to treat you fairly the same way we've always done. I think it's fair play. I think it's something that uh, uh, people who are uh, potentially impacted by this decision 
need to make their decision as to whether they want to support the union or not. I think if they like what they have right now, the opportunity to work directly with their supervisors, as opposed to through the union, etc., then maybe you should consider uh, staying the way you are. If you feel that uh, the union is going to give you more benefits, it's going to give you other things, and you, f you feel strongly about that, vote for the union. I don't have a problem with it. I will respect that. The college will recognize the collective bargaining unit if one is organized? Of course. Miami-Dade College President Eduardo Padron. Still to come, after 24 years as the boss, what's next for the college, Padron, and what he wants to do with his highest honor? We need to continue doing those things and reacting and adapting to the change in, in society and the community if we're going to stay relevant. We're back on the Sunshine Economy. I'm Tom Hudson. And I'm Jessica Bakeman. In its almost 60 years, Miami-Dade College has had four presidents. Its longest-serving leader, Eduardo Padron, is due to step aside in August after 24 years. It marks a transition that the school hasn't experienced since the mid-1990s. According to our news partner, the Miami Herald, the school's board of trustees has called its search for a successor a hunt for a unicorn. The official job description lists requirements like a Ph.D., experience as an education administrator, a bold, ethical, and transparent leader. We asked Padron what the priority should be for his successor. To build upon the foundation that has been created. I feel that the new leader uh, needs to be someone who's willing to understand that the best way for this uh, college to move forward is by having the ability to adapt to the changes in the community and society. But also, the most important, two things. Number one, that opportunity changes everything. And this college should always be about opportunity. And number two is the fact that, uh, you know, this has to be always a student-centered institution. That's our, that's our mission. Is to, we're here to serve students. We're not here to serve the president, the administration, the faculty. We're here to serve the students. And as long as we keep ourselves uh, focused on that, uh, I think this institution will always do well. What are the challenges that you see that are going to have to be tackled by this institution, both internally as well as externally? It's going to take a balancing act because the challenges are many. I've been here such a long time, so I know how this institution and how the role of the president has been transformed. Uh, this is a 24-7 job. There is uh, very little time for anything else. This is an institution that has become an anchor for this community, not only the area of job uh, development and being the most important equalizer we have in, in, in our society here, but the, we're a cultural we're a cultural anchor. I mean, we initiated the arts uh, movement in Miami with the book fair, with the film festival, with the lively arts series. Uh, this institution touches so many lives and so many things. It's difficult to find a household in Miami-Dade County that has not been touched by this college. And uh, so, so the challenges will continue to be uh, big. They are not going to be always the same challenges. There are going to be challenges coming from, from everywhere. Uh, that impact the college. And, and the question is, how do you 
balance those things and how do you manage and the only way that I know how to do that is by really understanding that one man is not what makes it happen. I always tell everybody here that some of the most important people here are the custodians who clean the floors and clean the bathrooms and make sure that when the students come and the faculty come, everything looks like, you know, in, in, very, in very good shape. Uh, and so everyone plays a very important role and everybody needs to understand that what they do is a key to the puzzle that is Miami-Dade College. Dr. Padron, what's the decision, if you can pick one over your career, uh, that you could point to from your years in office that you think changed the trajectory of the future of Miami-Dade College? You're asking very tough questions. You are hard. That's really difficult because I think it's hard to pinpoint anything specific. Uh, there are so many things that, that this institution has done that is innovative. This institution has been a pace setter for the rest of the nation. Almost every innovation that we have introduced at Miami-Dade College has been, uh, has been followed at other institutions. We're recognized for that. Uh, for example, our decision to have campuses throughout uh, the county as opposed to building an empire in one place, was a very wise decision. Is that something that you decided as president? Well, that is something that I, I supported and something that I have worked uh, to do, because today we have eight campuses. But that happened during your presidency? Uh, well, the expansion of the campuses, yes. I feel that if we really wanted to serve people, we needed to be close to where they are. And we're proving right every day more and more because, you know, with the traffic and transportation issues in Miami-Dade County, for most of our students who have to work and go to school, uh, being close to having a campus close to their job or having a campus close to their home is essential. Eduardo Padron won't say he's retiring from Miami-Dade College. He doesn't like that word. He says it doesn't exist in his personal dictionary. He isn't saying what's next for him other than he has lots of opportunities to continue to work in some kind of public capacity, and he hopes to continue supporting Miami-Dade College. Among those ways is likely to be a gift of something Padron received in 2016, the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the highest civilian honor in the United States. Padron calls it the greatest honor that he could ever hope for. And he was thinking about his parents when President Obama draped the medal around his neck at a White House ceremony. At that point, I was just saying, I wish my parents were here. Because they made the most incredible, courageous decision to send me over to this country with my younger brother, not knowing where they would ever see us again. And that took a lot of courage. And I just said, I wish to myself, I wish that they were here to witness this firsthand. Where's the medal now? <laughs> uh, the medal is in a box, somewhere in, a, in another box, in a closet. And that's not the best way to honor that medal. But I have to be totally honest with you since you answered the question. I have already decided that I'm going to donate uh, that medal to the archives of the college because it was this college who made that possible. And I think it belongs here for future generations to be able to see. Miami-Dade College President Eduardo Padron speaking with us recently from the school's downtown campus. 
He will leave his position in August after 24 years. Don't forget you can follow along every program on Twitter at WLRN. All of our news coverage, in fact, is there. You can look for a podcast of this program if you missed any of it or all of our archived programs by searching the term Sunshine Economy on iTunes. Pilar Uribe is our technical director. Katie Lepre is our engagement producer. I'm Jessica Bakeman. Polly Landis is our booking producer. And I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening and supporting WLRN.